<laughs> this is like the uh, the alien Sigourney Weaver fan club. <laughs> I don't understand like the the amount of money, the time, and the stress. Like, what do you do if you're going to the beach and you want to go swimming and you got this like glue on your hair and shit? Like, it's just it's too much. I think that what I found to be the most <laughs> difficult part, and even now I'm still sort of trying to figure out is do i wash it with soap or do i wash it with shampoo <laughs> like yeah i always when, use shampoo <laughs> when i had no hair i was like well first i'm like what's the point of shampoo i have literally no hair so mm. i would just use nothing like i didn't wash my head for <laughs> a lot of the time because i was like well there's really no point yeah um, i I have no basis for like why I think this, but in my head, and I think this is because my wife may have told me this, is she seems to think that like the skin on your face and your head is different than the skin on your body. So you're supposed to use like special soap for your face, usually costs like way more. Yeah. And then you're not supposed to use like regular soap on your scalp because it'll like dry it out or whatever. So like... Even though, like, I think my skin is pretty much the same all around. Like, she seems to think that, like, there's different skin types on parts of your body that you have to use different soap for. And I don't know why. I mean, (laughs) I can understand the face part. Like, I will get on that boat to a certain extent. Like, I'll use, I'll (laughs) use, like, you know, $20 or $18 face wash on my face. And, like, I use face lotion, like, one lotion thing. And that's it. Like... But your head, I just don't, it's your scalp. Like, I don't feel like that should be the same. I feel like you should just use, like, bar soap or whatever. Yeah, yeah, we'll but, figure out. So, it, what town are you in? I live in Manchester. Oh, so you are in New Hampshire. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Oh, heck yeah. Are you kidding? Yeah, because yeah, a lot of us up here don't take showers. <laughs> exactly. Like, what's the point? My husband gives me crap, actually. I'm, like, a really, I'm a really smelly person, I think. <laughs> Maybe more so than normal. I don't know, but my pack is out on the porch because it smells so bad. Oh my god, we can talk about that. Oh, that's a, that's a whole topic of discussion. That's a whole episode. Oh like my! Broadcasting from the Woodpecker Studio in the great state of New Hampshire. Welcome to the Sounds Like a Search and Rescue podcast, where we discuss all things related to hiking and search and rescue in the White Mountains of New Hampshire. Here are your hosts, Mike and Stump. For the sake of the audience, we were just talking about like how to maintain your your hair and your um, you know your, your cleanliness when you're a bald person. So or we'll, your lack we'll thereof. Yeah, exactly. When you have no hair. So and we'll get into why we're talking about that with Rebecca later on in the show. All right, Stomp. So episode eight, we are yeah. in the groove now of this thing. Yes, and we have our very first sitting guest in interview, and we're both psyched. It's Rebecca Sperry, otherwise known as Socked In Hikes. She is here with us. Hello. Hello. Hello, guys. <laughs> Hello. All right. We'll get to the, I want to get to the name origin later on in the show, but we'll reference you as Rebecca right now. But uh, Stomp, we got some big changes this week. The, the podcast has been released, so we dropped the first two episodes. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's been really interesting, huh? Yeah, yeah, and I'm. Uh, any I've, feedback? Yeah, I, I've decided I don't want any feedback. So <laughs> mostly positive, but you know, like a couple of people have said, like, "Oh, let me give you constructive criticism about things," and like, I just it's too stressful. I can't deal with it. 
So, yeah, if people are giving me heat over what I'm drinking, it's like I can't have a Pinot. <laughs> yeah, I'm getting the same thing. Like I, I, I with the with the drink thing, we'll talk about what we're drinking tonight. But I've I took like ten years off of drinking. So when my daughter was born. I stopped drinking for probably about eight or nine years. So when I stopped drinking was when like it was still Bud Light and Coors Light and all the normal drinks. And then it transitioned into this like IPA world. So I always thought that like drinking IPAs were Mm. cool. But now that we've done the podcast, we're getting feedback from people and they're like, oh, you're you're a wannabe hipster drinking IPAs. And I, I always just thought that that was what everybody drinks. But apparently in order to be cool, you need to drink a stout or an ale. So, I don't, hmm. I don't know. It's more rugged. Yeah. Stout. It's stout. Yeah. But there's definitely, like, people have given <laughs> a lot of positive feedback about the first two episodes. I personally thought they sucked compared to what we we're doing now. Oh, totally. Yeah. Um, but I, I just, can't listen to them. <laughs> yeah. I just don't want any feedback, though. It's too stressful. So. Yeah. Um, Rebecca, you've been on podcasts before, right? Yeah, this is my eighth. This is your eighth podcast? <laughs> yeah, I'm like a pro now. Oh, yeah. Yeah, tell us what, what the hell to do. We don't know what we're doing here. <laughs> I think you're doing great. I listened to, at least, I think I listened to episode one about the Franconia Ridge. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't remember if that's the only one I... Riveting, was, wasn't it? It was. No, you guys have good voices, <laughs> though, for podcasting. I think that's really important is the voice. Oh, I'm so... Par- my friend always tells me, he's like, oh, you got that like Bill Burr Boston accent. And I'm like so paranoid because I try to cover up the Boston accent, but because I, I don't want to be that guy that's like, oh, it's a baby wheel, you know, like that, that sort of like really <laughs> I, out of control accent. But I'm, I just overthink shit. I have to be honest. I kind of like the fact that you have an accent because I think that it makes it feel more authentic and Coming from New England, I mean, I don't feel like I have an accent at all, and yeah. I, I feel, I think I can appreciate it more because of the fact that I'm from the area, so don't hide it. Well, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to continue mm. to hide it as best I can, but... Um. <laughs> But anyway, it's been it's been an interesting week. We've got a bunch of downloads, and you know, generally people have been happy with it. So we're going to keep rolling on this. And um, this week we're going to continue our intro to New Hampshire hiking series, and we're going to be talking about waterfalls, which is this is Stomp's big moment to cover waterfalls. Oh yeah, love them. Yeah. So if you want to Can't avoid wait. some elevation and you want to look to cool <laughs> off this summer while doing a little hiking. In this episode, uh, we will give you a list of the most beautiful waterfalls in New Hampshire. Later in the show, we'll cover some recent search and rescue events, one of which is actually related to taking a wrong turn on the way to one of the most popular waterfalls in New Hampshire. And then we're going to finish up the show with our very first guest as we welcome Rebecca, although we've already welcomed Rebecca, but we're going to welcome her again. Um, Rebecca's For a second the, time. Yeah, exactly. She's one of the most prolific hikers in the White Mountains, so we're going to talk to her um, about her background. We're going to get her story of hiking while going through treatment for cancer, and I'm sure we're going to cover a bunch of other topics here, and she's going to jump in to give us some, some of her opinions on waterfalls and search and rescue as well. So let's get started. I'm Mike. And I'm Stomp. Here we go. So, Rebecca, thanks again for sitting in. We'll, we'll start the show here with a brief discussion about our Lord's specialty, alcohol. You may not partake, but that's fine. Mike, what are you drinking tonight? I have a um, Greenhead IPA from Newburyport Brewing. 
So local to my mm-hmm. area, which is very nice. So what about you, Stop? I took a lot of heat, <clears throat> like I had mentioned about drinking Pinot Grigio. So I'm going real deep, dark into some heavy stuff now. I'm going to put on a, a low voice for this one, okay? <clears throat> okay. Tonight it's a Cabernet by Cupcake. <laughs> All right. All right, so Stomp is our, our wine person. And then, Rebecca, are you drinking? Can you drink? Are you, are you um, able to drink? Do you not I think, drink? To be honest, I don't drink, so I don't know. I never asked if I was allowed to or not. I probably can't. I don't yeah. know. You don't know. Yeah, yeah. probably not a good idea, yeah. I would guess. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Honestly, I spent, like I said, I was like 10 years I didn't drink. I, I would drink every once in a while. Like, I would go on, like, a vacation, and I would drink, like, a fruity drink or whatever, and... I just started doing it again, mostly because of COVID, and I was like, I'm just bored out of my mind. So I was like, I, would, I just want to go to the liquor store to like see somebody. <laughs> so, um, but that's good. So we usually do try to start it off with a quick drink discussion, and then we'll usually we're just going to move into our next topic, which is recent hikes. So, Stomp, where have you been? What have you been doing with your your bum hip? Well, I've actually progressed from um, my single crutch to two hiking poles, which I it it took me like a year to get rid of hiking poles for search and rescue because you can't use them because uh, you end up poking people's eyeballs out when you're moving people and everything else. So um, I'm back to hiking poles, but I, I'm doing like these little 200, 300 foot hikes. There's this place across the street here called Smartsbrook. There's a little spur that you, there, there's a can. I might have mentioned this last episode, but it, there's a place called Love Connection, which goes up maybe half a mile to this overlook that looks over Welch Dickey and Bald Mountain and Acteon Ridge, and it's really cool. So I pulled that off, and I've been doing some little hikes, but uh, still need those poles for a little reduction of weight on my leg. But I'm getting there, definitely getting there. Yeah. When do you think you'll be, I think we talked about July 4th would be like your return to normalcy. Is that still reasonable, you think? Well, normal in terms of day-to-day life, but in terms of the vigors of, you know, carrying or um, hiking with 50 pounds, nah, it's going to be much longer, I think. And I'm actually talking to people that are saying, you know, three months out from now, that's when you want to back off. Um, because that's when people make stupid mistakes and they get cocky and they can disrupt the, the, the healing of the scar tissue and things like that. So it makes complete sense. So I'm going to take it easy, you know, no reason to blow it. It's too important to get, uh, this far into it and blow it over something stupid. Yeah. Yeah. Just be careful. Yeah, absolutely. Now, how about you, Mike? Have you been out? I was out. Yeah. I, um, I had big plans, so I was originally going to go down to the... So I wanted to avoid snow, so I was going to go down to the Ossipes and uh, do like a loop of Mount Roberts and Mount Shaw. And I didn't realize how like... that That's a long loop. It's like 12 miles or something. Um, mm-hmm. But I ended up getting a, a, a COVID vaccine appointment for Saturday. So I was like, I didn't know how I was going to feel. I got the Johnson & Johnson vaccine, and I was kind of looking at looking at that loop and I was like, it's a little bit too long because I just didn't know how I was going to feel after getting the vaccine. So I ended up going up to um, the sandwich range and I hiked the uh, hedgehog, Mount, uh, hedgehog mountain. I did that loop there and I had, I had a big moment. I was very excited. I saw a moose finally. And uh, <laughs> on trail, was, on trail. Yeah, yeah. I was coming. I was, I went, I went 
counterclockwise. So I went up and I did Alan's ledge and then I went up to the top and then I was hanging out in the ledges for like an hour by myself. Mm-hmm. And then as I was coming down, I saw like this, just this huge, you know, huge movement coming right across the trail. And then uh, it disappeared mm-hmm. for a second and I walked down a little ways and then the, this moose was like in a, in a little brook having a drink mm-hmm. and I got a nice video of it. And I was like very excited because it's the first time I've seen a moose in the wild. I see them crossing the street all the time, but um it was it was very cool it's pretty awesome when you see him (laughs) it's a rarity it seems like it's getting more rare as well yeah i don't know how about you socked you've been hiking um yeah let's see um what did i just do i just did some red uh redlining over oh my gosh where was i i have to look at my gps thing to remind my brain sorry oh that's right i did four separate hikes (laughs) On Tuesday, I did, um, nice. yeah, I did the Lovequist Loop. I did um, Church Pond Trail. I did River and Rail Trail. And I did Georgiana Falls. So it's interesting. We're doing a, a waterfall podcast. We'll talk about that one tonight for sure. And um, Lovequist is the one that's, I think it's Gorge Brook. I don't, I don't remember. Oh, my gosh. Well, anyways, there's a waterfall type thing at the beginning of that. Um, mm-hmm. But yeah, I did four separate hikes on Tuesday. And I'm really sad, actually. It's raining tomorrow because I wanted to hike tomorrow. So I'm almost tempted to go do... Um, I adopted Cedar Brook Trail. Mm-hmm. So I'm actually kind of thinking I might go do a recon mission <laughs> and just go see what it looks like out there. Because I don't want to not hike tomorrow, but it's going to be raining all day. You heard, did you hear the uh, forecast? It's going to be like... the higher summit. Yeah, it's going to be like 10 to 12 inches of snow, I think. I know, amazing. I can't believe it. It's, yeah. It's good it's content crazy. for the show. It's <laughs> going to be like gross. <laughs> like, I don't... Ugh, like, I'm just so done with snow. Yeah. And when you say you adopted a trail, uh, does that, so you're the trail maintainer, maintainer yeah. for that, that trail? Yeah, so I, um, I used to actually have... A few years ago, I adopted the Livermore Trail up to the height of land um, okay. coming from Kangamangas Highway, and mm-hmm. I gave it up a few years after adopting because I ended up, like, I was going to be doing a thru-hike, so I'm like, oh, I can't do this too. Um, and now that I'm not doing the single-year attempt of redlining, I decided it's time for me to start giving back. And I live in Manchester, which stinks because it's too far south, really, to be, unless I did the Lakes Region SAR. Mm-hmm. Um, so anyway, so I adopted a trail. It's the one way I want to give back, which I feel like it's such an amazing opportunity. I wish more people would take advantage of it in a way. Mm. Um, That's funny. I tried to sign up for that, but they didn't. They never got back to me. Yeah, you have to. Okay. I almost feel like you have to know people or something. I don't know. I I got in touch with somebody years ago when I signed up and then now I'm part of a Facebook group for people that are maintainers and that's why I was able to just automatically get right into it again. Very cool. I have to do that because Stomp, you're giving back by being on search and rescue. Rebecca's giving back by maintaining a trail. Like I'm, I'm doing nothing. So I need to adopt a trail or something. Yeah. Mm. You're giving back you're giving back with this beautiful voice of yours on this podcast. Yeah, well, I don't know about that, but... You have an awesome Facebook page, too. You're giving back. That's true. That is true. I'm shedding light. I'm shedding light on the search and rescue scene in the in the area. Oh, so. yeah. Yeah, no question. 
Very cool. All right, so we've all been out, which is good because that's the biggest thing is maintaining the hiking, especially in April and May when it's so gross. Slasher's Hiking Topic of the Week. We're going to move into our first segment, which is uh, waterfalls. What we're going to do here is, again, this continues our intro to hiking series, so we want to target this towards people that um, are new to hiking and want to learn more about the whites, and then we try to throw things in for more experienced hikers so that um, everybody gets sort of a, a little bit of knowledge here. So um, the the way that we're going to break this down is that we've got uh, we want to highlight a few waterfalls that are in and around the White Mountains, and we're going to break this down into three categories. Uh, the first category is easily accessible and more popular waterfalls. Then we're going to have a set of lesser known, but still relatively easily accessible. And then the last group will be the, the harder to get to waterfalls. So I think, Stomp, I gave you the homework assignment of covering the easily accessible waterfalls, right? Yes, sir. Okay. I am ready. Okay. I've got Very them good. all covered here. You got your tourist so, uh, waterfalls ready to go. <laughs> all the places I've avoided all the, these all, years. <laughs> all the places I've taken my children when they were little. <laughs> well, first on the list is the classic. It's Arethusa Falls. This is a 140-foot fall, very popular in Crawford Notch. It's a 2-point-mile out-and-back trip, so it's a fairly easy hike. Uh, that would be 1.4 for the arithmetically challenged. Um, you take the Bemis Brook Trail up to this fall, and um, it's gorgeous, but I have not seen it. I've seen little pictures of it on my computer. You've never been there? I've, I've oh, my gosh. <laughs> yeah. It, well... It gets crowded. It's a, it's definitely a tourist um, hike. It's very popular, but it's it's a beautiful fall. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Do you recommend it? Highly. Yes. Okay. It's just long enough to All like right. really you know you'll it's enough to really get you into hiking and it's you know the 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 waterfall when it's running is really amazing to look at. Okay. Well, the um, the nearest neighbor. In Crawford, Crawford Notch is Ripley Falls. This is a little shorter. It's 1.1 mile out and back. Apparently, this fall is about 100 feet high. There's a 400 foot elevation gain when you're hiking to this one. This one apparently is about a 60 degree angle. So they, there's a lot of talk about how it's so steep that the water is just stunning when it comes off of this um, rock. It's described as a moderately difficult trail to hike up, but again, short. You take the Ethan Pond Trail to the Arethusa Ripley Falls Trail, and voila, you are there. Now, has anybody been to this fall? I have been up Ethan Pond a few times, but not to the falls. But I will say that's a pretty steep ascent to get to that. Ripley? Yeah, I think. Is it really? Well, okay. the Ethan Pond Trail is, it's not, not that, I don't know, I found it to be pretty steep. Maybe that's after the falls, I don't remember. Yeah, I can't, I can't remember either. I've been there a bunch of times, but I feel like you do a like it's a it's a steep drop into the falls, and then coming back is is a bit of a climb. So, but it's I feel like Arthusa is a little bit easier to get to, and then Ripley's a little bit more of a a, a, little, a slightly more difficult hike. Mm-hmm. Now, how about the third one, uh, Sabaday? Has anybody been there? Oh yeah, yeah, lots of times. So- 
Yeah, Sabah cool. Day is a is a perfect one for anybody that doesn't actually want to hike. You just pull up on the the Kangamangas Highway, pull into the parking lot, and you can walk out maybe a quarter mile, half mile to the the falls, and it's it's a really great area. So it's rec- recommended for all skill levels, you would say. Yeah, yeah. This is a it's a tourist like pull up, get out of your car, and walk in your jeans to get to the waterfalls. No problem. <laughs> now this one is a hundred foot as well. They say it's ninety eight feet, so it's just br- almost breaking a hundred feet high. That's got to be pretty impressive. Um, the only thing about that one, I I, I love that one. I've done Sabade a ton of times, um, but in this spring or shoulder season, it can be really icy because it's a very it's a very wide trail um, path that you take to get to that area. Um, and for some, mm-hmm. I, I definitely can remember hiking down that trail in spring and seeing so many tourists in the wrong attire hiking oh, sure. on the ice. Trying well, you know what's to- funny? Yeah, when I was researching some of these, I was reading the comments underneath, like at all trails and stuff like that. And most of the recent uh, comments, everybody was saying, it's a sheet of ice. Nobody had, you know, everybody had sneakers on. Nobody had spikes. Uh, Comment after comment after comment. And uh, I think typically with the heavier uh, foot traffic trails, you're going to see a lot more ice, you know, even this time of the year, just packed down tight. So good point. What else you got, Stomp? Oh, this is your favorite. Uh, I've actually tried my best to avoid this place all my life, and I've never been here. Diana's Bath, or Baths. This is over in the North Conway side, so it's super popular. It's 1.3 mile out and back hike, pretty much all skill levels. It's definitely a, um, well, like like most of these places, it is pay to play, but you're definitely going to pay five bucks to get into this place. It's described more as a lengthy span of rocks, ledges, uh, more cascades along Lucy Brook. Now, the cascading falls themselves measure about 75 feet high, uh, very similar to Cascade Brook in Franconia Notch. If you park at the basin and head up Cascade Brook, there are very similar uh, cascading falls up there. The only problem, expect lines of cars, crowds, and uh, flip-flops and trash. (laughs) Hasn't this been one of the thi- the places a lot of people have gotten hurt? I feel like there's a lot of SARS on this particular. Yeah, there is. And I think there's. it's a swimming hole, so I think a lot of people will slip. They'll have lower leg injuries. There was a lady that um, had fallen, I think, in the fall. She was wearing, like... You know, she posted like a picture of her uh, on social media of like of her standing there, and then like, she had a before and an after, and she was wearing like really inappropriate footwear, and she wiped out, and she had to get hauled out of Diana's bath. So it's it's just very crowded, and I mm. think that you know it's wet rock, people slip, and I think for the most part you don't. I actually don't see a lot in the news. I think the like the local fire departments will just come out and pick people off the off the trail and bring them to the the, the hospital there in North Conway. This is a decent list of, of, I feel like you've kind of covered the easily accessible as well as some of the lesser known ones, but anything else you got? One more, and this is a classic because this connects to Hollywood. Glen Ellis Falls. I've seen this a number of times. It, have you? Either of you seen Glen Ellis? Yeah, yeah, we used okay. to go there all the time. How about you? I, honestly, I don't remember where it is, but I probably have walked by it or... Where is it? <laughs> okay, well, let me tell you. 
This is a short quarter mile hike down to a 64 foot waterfall. Basically, you you can park either at Pinkham Notch and walk down a quarter mile, or park across the street at Glen Boulder, and it's right under the highway. What's really funny about this waterfall? Are you familiar with Bear Grylls? <laughs> okay, yeah. that that adventure show. Yeah. There is an episode where he takes Don Cheadle into New Hampshire, and they show Glen Ellis Falls. Like all of a sudden, you know, they're bushwhacking through the forest, and they have barely any food or water. And all of a sudden, they pull up to Glen Ellis Falls. They're, you know, if you're at the bottom looking up at the falls to the right, you see those rocky ledges. All of a sudden, Beer and Don Cheadle come up to this place, and they're like, "How the hell are we going to get across this?" It's like two seconds from the road, though. Right, but they make it like they're lost in the White Mountains of New Hampshire, ready to die. And they're like literally 20 feet away from the road. Exactly. But it gets even better because Bear pulls out a rope and throws it across to the other side. And miraculously, it goes from one scene to the next. It wraps around a tree. And then the rope itself in the next scene turns into legit high-tech rope system and they end up like <laughs> climbing over to the other side it's the funniest damn thing you'll ever see all right we Highly need to do an episode on this to expose <laughs> oh this nonsense because i heard about this uh, my <laughs> recollection when they filmed this was like they did something near uh crawford notch they went down the train tracks and then they were somewhere <laughs> right, below which, like willard or something like that but uh, i yeah. don't i don't know the details oh it's hilarious you have to look it up it's great all right. Well, I'm going to do some All research right. on this. We may have to expose them for frauds. <laughs> <laughs> now, Sock, you just went here. When was it? Just the other day? Georgiana. Georgiana I went there Tuesday. Okay. Yeah, Tuesday. Okay. This place is absolutely fantastic. This is in North Woodstock. It's j- literally 100 yards south of Whale Tail uh, Water Park. Route 3 Lincoln. You take Hanson Farm Road, and you'll see a sign system and a trail that heads to Georgiana which is the lowest fall, and then Harvard Falls, which is probably one of the most stunning things I've ever seen. It's a, it's like a 200-foot fall. Uh, altogether, you're looking at 2.5 mile out and back, and um, to get to the higher fall system, it's definitely moderate to difficult, mm-hmm. especially in the shoulder season. It can be pretty treacherous. We've actually had some search and rescue uh, activity up there, and it's not easy getting down, uh, but highly, highly recommended. When it's high water, that higher waterfall is just something to see. You'll never see anything like it because you're literally 10 feet in front of it sitting on this uh, almost like a, a stone bench that almost looks like somebody built. So it's really stunning. I did that hike part of the redlining. Um, the upper falls, I will definitely say, is less well-blazed. Um, yeah. And coming back, I was definitely using my watch to make sure I was following the same track because it was not an easy navigation compared to what I would have thought for something that seemed like it would be pretty popular. Mm-hmm. There's actually a um, sort of like a, a herd path slash bootleg trail. When you get to the base of the first waterfall, you, if you just go into the woods to the right before that first little lower water crossing. There's a trail that will take you all the way up to that highest fall, and it's uh, super easy. It's basically a ridge walk straight up towards the highest point. And um, that's actually how we get people out if they get injured. We take them right down that ridge instead of going down all that treacherous stuff. So, awesome. 
So, Mike, you've been up there, right? I haven't. No, I have not been in that area. Because I mean, we were talking about how I want to go hike Mount Pemigewasset. Yeah, yeah. Soon, yeah. but I have never that. What is that exit thirty three? I just haven't. I haven't been around there at all. Yeah, it is thirty three. Yeah, yeah. You take a right. You bear right off the exit, and uh, it's just right on the left. It's pretty cool. Highly recommended. Um, now let's see. We we have two more. Okay. And these are getting a little harder. We have Kinsman Falls, which is up off of Cascade Brook. Basically, you park at the basin, and um, Cascade Brook Trail is a little tricky to find, but it's it's more or less behind the basin. You have to look out for signs. Not the easiest thing to find, despite the popularity of the basin itself. There's just a series of uh, swimming basins and uh, waterfalls. Kinsman Falls itself is about 35 feet high. And uh, beyond that, there's another one called Rocky Glen Falls. Really neat place to um, explore. Uh, the water is damn cold if you if you want to try to go swimming. Yeah, and Rebecca, you had talked about Diana's Bath being a hot spot for search and rescue. Like Cascade Brook during like early summer this year, there was like three or four incidents there of people just like either breaking their their ankles or like twisting an ankle and needing to get carried out of there. So I don't, I haven't been there, but sounds sounds slippery to me. Mm-hmm. And uh, moving on to a little touch of New Hampshire history. Let's dive into some White Mountains history, shall we? Uh, Bridal Veil Falls. There's a little bit of celebrity history here with uh, Betty Davis. Did you know? Were you aware of that? I was not aware of that. Okay, this is this is really interesting. She's uh, obviously the Oscar-winning actress um, in All About Eve and whatever happened to Baby Jane back in the 30s and 40s. She actually had a home up in Sugar Hill, which is just north of uh, Bridal Vale. Bridal Vale itself is it's a basically a 4.8 mile out and back hike, easy to moderate. Uh, the waterfalls are beautiful. I I think they're about 50 feet tall. But apparently, Betty Davis met somebody in that area and ended up they were married and this was her second husband his name is arthur farnsworth and about say a mile or so up into the hike itself you can find a little plaque that she put on a boulder which is on the stream itself as you're hiking up and it's it's dedicated to this fella that she was married to she's not directly attributed on the plaque itself but there's a little note that says uh, something to the effect of from the grateful one. So she was the grateful one for their love affair. Hmm. Isn't that nice? Are there any other celebrities that live in the White Mountains? I don't even know. Mm. I, I remember like there was always this rumor that Shania Twain lived in New Hampshire. Did you guys ever hear that rumor that Shania Twain was like, I, I used to hear that all the time. Was, she bought a house somewhere in like the White Mountains. but And I was always looking for her whenever I was hiking, but... No luck. <laughs> I feel like I, I thought I heard Britney Spears had a house in like the the Winnipesaukee area. I feel like I've heard that rumor too, and I know I do know that um, Justin Timberlake and who was he married to? Oh, Jessica something. Jessica Peel, yeah. Peel, they were yeah. at the Wakefield Diner in Wakefield, New Hampshire, on sixteen huh. at one point. So, but that's yeah. it. We don't get. Uh, 
we don't get too many celebrity sightings in New Hampshire. Huh. Um, well, here's the last point about this, and then we'll move on. <laughs> okay. They were married until 1943 because Mr. Farnsworth died falling down the stairs of their home in Sugar Hill. Isn't that heartbreaking? Oh yeah. That's too bad. Ugh, that's terrible. At least he didn't fall down a waterfall. Yeah, exactly. And uh, here's the very last one, kids. Walker Brook Falls. If anybody's familiar with the B-18 bomber up near Mount Waternamy off of Route 118 heading towards Musilak. Yep. About uh, once you start into the water, the brook system, there's about maybe half a mile from the bomber, you'll see visibly through the woods um, another uh, cascading fall, which is just beautiful. And you can bushwhack down to it. It's a couple hundred yards away, but that's a really neat one for the more obscure, difficult treks. And that's all I've got. All right. Well, I got a couple more. And then just for the audience's references, we will um, list all of these in the show notes. And then you can also just go to the slasherpodcast.com website, and I'll have a full list of these, uh, these waterfalls. And the other thing you can do is if you really want to research waterfalls, there's a Facebook group that is called the Northeast Waterfalls Group. And you can go on to that site and it'll give you all kinds of information about not just New Hampshire, but all over New England. Uh, but there's a couple that I wanted to just call out that are like harder to get to that are kind of on the way to like other hikes, which is something that I, I, and there's no names for these, but if you ever are hiking the Great Gulf Trail and you head out past the junction of Madison Gulf and you get deep into the Great Gulf mm-hmm. and you hike along the Peabody River, like there's like, there's got to be like what, like six or eight amazing waterfalls where You've got like these rock areas where you can just hang out. You know what I'm talking about, Rebecca? Mm, actually, that's probably the one part of that area that I'm not. I'm not familiar with the Great Gulf. I don't think I've even gone in there at all yet. Ooh, I'm going to take you oh, in there. Man. You guys got <laughs> to go. Going. It's magic. Yeah. It's like Fangorn Forest. It's just, it's mythical and magical. Unbelievable. Old growth. Yeah. Yeah, I it love is. That. And there's a there's yeah. a ton of like random waterfalls and stuff where you can stop and eat. So um so that's one that I would definitely say is like get into the Great Gulf, go along the Peabody River, and you will see a bunch of awesome waterfalls. So that's my sort of secret tip for anybody that's looking to get out of crowds and get get to see some waterfalls. Awesome. So uh, there's a few other ones we didn't get to here, but I'll I'll just put them on the list. And the reality is is that in this area, like pretty much you know, like half the hikes you go on, you'll run into some sort of water crossing, especially like early in the year, and you'll you'll see some great, great waterfalls. Mm-hmm. Any other thoughts on waterfalls, Rebecca Stomp? Um, well, there's a really cool area that I just was exploring, actually, um, that the Randolph Mountain Club actually um, maintains the trail system. It's across from the Appalachia parking lot. There's a bunch of trails on the other side. It's near Durand Road. Um, And there's some really cool spots down in there that I just discovered. And um, one of them, it's like a moss staircase, kind of. And then there's also like a covered bridge down in there. And there's some water um, features. I'm pretty sure they're drinking water in Randolph, so you can't be getting in the water. But it's a really cool area. And it's really honestly not even that hard to get to um i think it was off durand road um i want to say it's called mossy path mossy path all right i'm gonna do some research and check that out because i have to get over to that area because 
I need, I've got like a couple more trails left on the terrifying 25, so I have to hike into the uh, the ice, ice gulch. Okay, have I did that. There? That was like a nightmare. It was a nightmare? <laughs> well, funny. I also did it in a thunderstorm. Oh, you did? When did you, what time of the year did you do it? Because I, I need to like figure out when to do this thing. Uh, I did it in late June, early July, and there was still ice in some of the spots and I think part of the problem was I didn't like an idiot didn't read the guidebook description ahead of time and didn't realize I was getting myself into what I was getting myself into and honestly that was probably one of my least favorite trails because of it that I did um so far because it I literally like started crying it was awful um jeez oh, all right I I'm also looking, don't I'm looking forward to it then <laughs> well I don't really like things that are super sketchy and I hike solo like I try not to make things more difficult than they need to be and more risky than they need to be and that was not a fun experience for me so that's a bummer yeah well I was thinking about like doing that in mid-June but maybe I'll wait till July give it a little bit more time to dry off I would do it and don't do it if it has recently rained like I'm talking give it a week at least of dry conditions okay Hmm. I will. Uh, I'll, I'll take that advice for sure. But I do have to get out there this summer at some point. But that area there, like I never even think about going across the street from from Appalachia. But I'll, I'll check that other area out. Yeah, I just finished all of those trails. I have two hikes left on the um, that side of the Northern Prezies to do, and then I'll have done all that trail system, like all of those spaghetti trails. Oh, you've done all that stuff in Lower Adams. Yeah. Ugh. How do you even like make sure that you got everything? Uh, I'm OCD about nice. things. I mean, I'm like ridiculous. <laughs> yeah, no, I'm I'm the same way. So I appreciate that. So, um, but no, this is good stuff. Good, good talk about waterfalls. Um, there's plenty to see out there. You just gotta, you know, make your way in about a half mile or so and just listen for for water and you'll find some waterfalls but the good thing about this episode stomp is that um there was a recent rescue on arathusa fall so i was like the the search and rescue gods are looking down upon us because they know that we're doing the waterfall episode and uh sure enough two people that were hiking in the area were um were in trouble they took a wrong turn it looks like two ladies from massachusetts mm-hmm. so my my home state they were um hiking arathusa falls and anybody that knows arathusa falls knows you kind of park down at the bottom and you got to walk up this road and then you get to the railroad tracks that uh, have a sign that says like basically cross the track and head to the trail to get to arathusa falls right for whatever reason this couple decided that they were going to take a right on the railroad tracks they started late um and they went down about four miles on the railroad tracks looking for the trailhead which means, <laughs> which means that they were heading towards like the uh crawford not yeah crawford notch yeah, yeah. Yeah, That's so they made it. Um, they must have started late because they called nine one one at around uh, ten forty five, stating that they were lost. They had no lights and they needed assistance. Mm-hmm. So um, the nine one one coordinate. So you you had talked about this before, like so when you call, depending mm-hmm. on your phone provider, I think like they can get the GPS coordinates for where you are. Is that right? If if you call nine one one, and in this case, if you're lucky enough to have service, which 
uh, that's a big question here. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, um, if you get through to nine one one, generally, fishing game will have a, a approximate idea of your location. Yeah, yeah. So it sounds like in this case, so they got through, and then they must have got disconnected, but they were they got enough connectivity to get their uh, their coordinates, and it put them four miles north of Arethusa Falls in the vicinity of. You know the railroad tracks, yeah, and they kept trying to call them back, but they weren't able to get through. So, like you said, there's not a lot of connectivity in that that area. Mm. So, they finally, I guess, made their way out there around midnight, and they, you know, the the fishing game officers started hiking towards them, and eventually, the two people that were lost you know, arrive back to the area. So they must have doubled back and made their way back down to the railroad tracks and they, they were back in the parking lot around one one thirty in the morning. So fun night for them. I try to figure out like, you know, what could they have done differently? But I mean, I'm speechless. Yeah, well, in this case, they had no lights. Um, they were working on their cell phone light. They had no food, no water, no warm clothing. I mean, this time of the year is brutal. It can get really cold at night, even though it's a little warmer during the day. And, of course, the cell phone battery always loses power when it gets colder. Um, So you always have to think of those things when you're heading out, even if it's a small hike like Arethusa. Yeah, yeah. One of these days, I'm going to reach out to some of these folks that get in trouble because I'm always fascinated, like, which one of them made a decision to take the turn and stop walking down the tracks and then told the other one, like, it's fine. We're in good shape. And then eventually they get to the point where they're like, we're screwed. Well, you <laughs> like, know. What happens? Like, I, I would be pissed if I were the person that didn't make the decision. <laughs> I wonder if they were uh, part of the Beer Grills Don Cheadle fan club. I don't know. Because that, that's know. in that episode too, that train track. Yeah, exactly. It's possible. That area gets a really terrible service too. I know I... Every time I go, you hit, I'm telling you, you hit that notch and you lose service. Oh, no question. As soon as you crest it and yeah, head down. It is, it is a dead zone because mm-hmm. we do, I, I do that event, Reach the Beach, every year. And you lose it right at the top of um, Crawford Notch. And then you don't get it back until you get into Bartlett. Like like a quarter mile before the Bear Notch Road turn off, you get connectivity again. But, but in between, there's nothing. Cool. Well, that's all we have. I mean, side note, there were a couple other lost people. So this is um, a very busy week for search and rescue for lost missing people. Two other people were just um, two elders that got lost, and but were found again. But, um, you know, interesting week for SAR. Yeah, yeah, I actually, I do have one other update, a sad one. Um, the the lady who had um, unfortunately drowned in Lake Ossipee, uh, from Lowell, Mass., there was a recovery of her. So she was with her dog, and uh, there was some sightings of the dog. I think that you know some neighbors had it on game cam, and there was some thought that the dog may be in the woods and um, and be alive. But unfortunately, they did recover the dog in in Ospie as well. So it would had drowned. Aww. So, which yeah, is sad. sad. So. So with with that with that on that positive note, um, Rebecca, let's move right into your uh, your segment. She's <laughs> so sorry about that. <laughs> it's time for Slasher's Guest of the Week. But we do we want to um, welcome um, Rebecca um, Sperry onto the show. Um, her trail name is Socked In Hikes. It's and, a socked you know, in. Uh, socked in. 
Um, her Instagram is Socked In Hikes. So um, very excited to have you here. And we're, we want to talk a little bit about her background. Um, and we want to talk about a film that was a short film that was recently made about her story. So we'll get into um, Rebecca's story a little bit here. Um, in a moment, but I think just to start off with Rebecca, can you just give us some background on your, I guess, how you got into hiking and a little bit about what, you know, what you're pursuing in your, your, your current uh, um, hiking situation right now? Um, all right. So 2015, I decided I'm going to try, um, I wanted to go on a hike one day. Um, prior to that, I'd probably done about 10 hikes with my husband between 2008 and 2013. And then stopped hiking. Um, anyway, so 2015, I'm like, I want to go on a hike. And he said he didn't feel like going. So I was like, well, I'm going to go by myself then. And so, which is not something that I typically would have done ever. Like, I was mm-hmm. very much like, I need to be with my spouse um, back then. So anyways, I decided I'm going to go by myself. And I decided to do Mount Major. So hiked Mount Major. It was the first time I'd ever hiked solo. Um, first time I'd hiked in quite a while and it was just amazing very empowering um i was instantly hooked and from then i continued hiking for the rest of the summer um and then the next year i kind of upped the ante and did even more and so every year i continued to do more and more things um basically all solo i think i i I stopped counting this year but prior to this year i think i had done like 13 hikes out of the hundreds I've done with anyone else. So I basically only hike solo. Um, But you like that, right? And you like the solitude. I do. I love it. I do. I actually, I hate to say it, but when people invite me to go on hiking adventures with them, I typically kind of try to back out of it if I can help it because I like to go solo. I feel like that when Mike invites me too. Um, I'm like, oh God. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, so I have one friend that I've been hiking with more recently, which is very much out of my comfort zone. Um, and she's just an amazing person, Danielle Normand. Um, I oh, think you know her. Yeah, she's she, fantastic. Yep. Yeah, I so, know she's amazing. Yeah, so she and I um, have done, I think, three or four hikes this spring together, which is insane for me. Um, but anyways, so I continued doing more and more hikes. I did the 48, 4,000 footers in 2018. I finished those in January, which is how I met Stomp, actually. Um, and you, Mike, right? Yeah. I have a side note here because the three of us crossed paths coming down Falling Waters, if I remember correctly. We were coming down. She was going up. Do you remember that? Yep. Oh, okay. In 2018, I, yeah, January. because we were going, oh, yeah, we okay. were coming down yeah. Falling Waters. You had your headphones on, and it was just—it was bad weather. Yeah, I was nervous. It was a very brief interaction, but it was—that was when we actually all saw each other in person for the first time. Wicked cool. Yeah, that was finishing my 48, and I was really nervous because it was really crappy weather. And I am not the type to want to be like, "Let's do this. This will be Mike, a good risk." I think that might have been <laughs> when you took that picture that you just sent me the other day. That same day. Oh, yeah, yeah. Oh, so you went up on the ridge that day? Because we turned around like big wimps. We were like, we're <laughs> out of here. I'm pretty sure that was the day. Yeah, was- I actually crossed the ridge. And I did, did? my... Four- I finished my 48 that day on Jan- on Lafayette. And you did it solo? Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. So just for the audiences... Yeah, we right, checked uh, it out. We've talked about Franconia Ridge a couple of times. Like, that was not a great day. Like, <laughs> it wasn't super windy, but there wasn't a lot of visibility. No, there, and... Right? 
there was two other guys that were from Adirondack area and they actually were ahead of, we kind of kept leapfrogging. Um, thankfully they were up there. I wouldn't have continued probably stop made it seem like it was not bad. So I'm like, Oh, well, he seems like he knows what he's doing. So I'm going to keep going. <laughs> so he's basically the reason I Don't finished. Quote me. I mean, it might've been, it might've been improving as we were coming down. But when Mike and I were up there from Haystack, we ventured out maybe 20 feet towards the gargoyles and Lincoln. We're like, nah, let's go back. <laughs> See, I thought that you had crossed the ridge, so I'm like, oh, well, they did it. Oh, so maybe I guess we, it's maybe okay. we lied oh, just great. to look cool. Like, oh, yeah, we, we didn't out back just for the hell of it. <laughs> maybe, but either way, I ended up finishing that day. Thank you for that. <laughs> it's great. Um, Yikes. Hey, I lived. Yeah. It's all good. Very well, nice. So I've done... Let's see. Gosh, I, I'm working on round four right now of the 48. Wow. But I kind of, it's not like I'm trying to grid. I'm just doing it for fun. I don't ever plan on gridding. Um, let's see. Then I did the 67 that summer, actually, of 2018. I'm like 77 through the 100 highest. And, and then I started doing other things. And like I did the Monadnock Sunapee Greenway Trail. I did a couple of other shorter, like, overnight backpacking trips. And now my big thing since 2019 has been working on redlining, which is pretty much the best thing ever. So got it. Yeah. So we've we've talked about redlining. We've talked about sort of the you know what it is. We've talked about all the drama around the Ugh. naming of the redline. So you so you you're still using the term redline. I I said that I was going to start using tracing, but like I, I it's the, this whole word thing is very difficult for me because. I'm afraid I'm going to slip up and someone's going to get mad at me and I'm not going to be, you know, inclusive. So I really don't know, like, do you have any thoughts on this, Rebecca, about um, how, how we use this term? Well, I think that, so here's the thing that, here's what my issue with it is. Well, first of all, there's different, every word, not every word has the same meaning. There's multiple meanings to different words. And the term redlining is hyphenated. It's technically two individual words. Mm. Um I think that if it hadn't been for all of the crazy drama that had been brought up around it, I wouldn't feel weird saying it all the time now. Um, and I don't mind the, using the term tracing. I think that actually sounds fine. But I'm just so used to saying redlining that I just yeah. keep saying it. And um, I don't mind tracing either. I guess I just kind of keep, keep saying redlining just because that's what I've been calling it. And I feel weird calling it something else and also um i think that because of a lot of the background between myself and the individual that kind of made the big scene out of it um it's almost like if i can it's almost like well gosh if i start using that term tracing am i giving this person sort of like letting them win almost like, i don't know yeah, that sounds yeah, really yeah. bad because I, yeah. I also don't i don't want to insult anyone and i don't want to be offensive to anybody they might find it offensive if i'm using this term um i haven't had i've had one person i think and i'm pretty vocal on social media um i posted about the whole situation and i think i had one individual say that like negative about the term in my my messages everyone else was like wait what i didn't even know this was an issue yeah. or they need to stop like this is ridiculous kind of um yeah and i think we're in this period and like over the last like three or four years and i have young kids that are you know very into sort of 
you know, I learn a lot from them, I would say, but I think that we need to recognize that we're in a, we're in a period of change right now. And, you know, language and tra- the transitions around language, like we have to give a little bit of leeway there. So, I mean, we'll, we'll use redlining, we'll use tracing. And, you know, at the end of the day, I think we all agree we want to be as inclusive as we can be. And we want to see as many people in the outdoors as we can. It's just like, it's a, it's a weird time right now. We're all doing our best to figure out how to how to navigate this world without offending anybody. Yeah, and I also think that um, it needs to come from the right place. Like, if you're doing it because you're genuinely feeling like this is something that you're concerned about. For example, I worked special education. That's my background. And there's this um, particular thing called using person-first language. So you would put the person before the disability. You don't call a person autistic. You would say a person with autism. And there's a way of saying certain things because it's using the right terminology. And um, I think if it's coming from the right place and you're actually genuinely an advocate for a particular population, that's one thing. But to just use it as a publicity stunt, I personally find that to be really disgusting. (laughs) And that's why I feel kind of like it's that's what it was. And the fact that the individual took the post down off their website and everything, like it's just... Like, don't use it as a way to gain publicity. Use it because you genuinely care. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, agree, agree. So um, with the red line or the trace at this point, so you you spent a ton of time. So I, the one thing I, you know, I'm very sort of focused on data and um, using data to tell stories. And the thing I like about the red line and the thing I like about all the gamification of the the hiking in the Northeast is that it's a, there's a lot of tracking and a lot of keeping, um, basically maintaining and planning out how you're going to approach these different games. So the red line is like the ultimate game when it comes to that. So logistically, it's like uh, if you're like a, a spreadsheet nerd or a... Um, you know, a list nerd, like the red line is like the ultimate challenge, right? Yeah, I love it because it's actually, that was what I was thinking the other day as I was doing it is like, it's a mind game more than anything, because you have to actually like try to use your brain before you even head out onto the mountains, because you need to make the most sense out of whatever it is you're doing to get the miles, to get the trails. Like you don't want to be backtracking a ton. You don't want to be wondering which way to go or missing a a spur path because you screwed up planning um it's almost like a puzzle it's like i'm putting a puzzle together Mm, absolutely it is yeah and for the audience who's you know if you're not familiar with this the idea is is that you hike every trail in the white mountains and it's like and i've actually said this in previous episodes like there's like 650 plus trails but it's not even 650 trails it's like a ton of like these little spurs and out and backs that you have to cover and I think, what is it, Rebecca, like uh, 1,500 miles or so of trails? Um, it's Yeah, technically, it's around 15. It's a little under 1,500. Um, but when you end up doing all these, you know, you're going to be retracing your steps. Um, you're going to be looking at more like eighteen to 2,000 miles when all is said and done. It's what? So it's no, a lot I of mileage. What, 41%? Is that what I... I'm at um, 49, 49 wow. I think, now. Halfway done. Yeah. Yeah, I just, I think it's kind of, so I've been towing the last few days. I told Danielle this actually, because I'm really kind of a little ridiculously OCD about stuff. (laughs) Um, And so I hate the fact that I don't know when I officially started. And I hate the fact that it's like super, 
like I, I keep I don't I have a website and I tracked everything I did on there um, when I was actually officially working on doing it in a certain amount of time so I have like um, synopsises for each of the days that I did with the trails listed and everything and a summary and but I only have that for the ones I did when I was officially working on doing it in a certain amount of time and like it bothers me that I don't have those synops- synopses and um trails listed from the other time so i'm sort of thinking of starting over again just so i can track it all <laughs> nice nice and so, so that'll be the, uh, my fourth time trying over <laughs> oh boy well so the ultimate goal of this is like you, you've got those 1500 miles of trails and then you've got like anywhere from three to 500 extra miles about and backs that you have to do so the ultimate goal is to sort of optimize that so that that if it's 500 miles, you want to get those out and backs down to the lowest number you possibly can, right? <laughs> yeah. So, for example, last year, because I was doing the Northern Prezies, that the side, um, the Randolph Mountain Club side, that was my focus right before I got diagnosed with cancer. Mm-hmm. So I ended up having to hike within one week. I had to do the bottom half of Lowe's Path three times because that was the only way to reach the trails that are in that area and have it make sense. And it was like, I don't want to hike these one point whatever miles mm-hmm. again. I just did them two days ago. <laughs> and how do you how do you do the planning? Is it all just spreadsheets for you? So um, the way I did it, because I'm really old school and I don't use Gaia, I don't use... I used Gut Hook for that section of trails because it is a nightmare, but I typically don't use any technology because I'm really like anti, I don't know, I like to do it the old way. So I have a binder of, um, I basically took pictures of the maps and then drew lines literally with like highlighters making routes. And then, yeah, so I have a two inch binder full of the the trails printed out. With How long did that take you? Um, I re I had to keep revisiting it, so it's kind of was a work in progress, and now it's kind of in its official state. <laughs> and it took a couple months. I don't know. I sort of had been working on it for about no, a do year. You take this binder um, and put it in your pack. No, I take a picture of the page. <laughs> nice. I don't take the whole thing with me, and I also take pictures of the guidebook pages because. There are a lot of these trails that I'm on that there's not trail markers and there's literally like the only way to navigate them if you don't use technology is by using the guidebook pages. Mm -hmm. Um, See, I've always felt, so I was thinking about this because, again, I'm a data geek and I'm looking at this in the exact opposite way. Like I'm thinking that like a project like this where you want to try to optimize how you would approach the red line would be like the perfect research project for like a master's student or a PhD, like computer science person in like distributed systems. Or if you were like a geographic information systems person, like to figure out how do you make the most optimal paths of travel? Like you'd have to put in the rules to say like, you know, you can't do more than 20 to 25 miles a day. You know, they, you have to limit the amount of out and backs. Like, I, I would think that if there's any software geeks that are listening to this, like, that would be an awesome research project. Yeah, I can definitely see it being something that people would really get into if they're really into that kind of thing. Um, for me, it was more like, okay, for example, like, I've done a lot of these hikes multiple times now. What do I enjoy doing? Um, I like doing this particular loop, so I'm going to make that be part of my plan for redlining because I liked doing it. So it wasn't necessarily always about um, optimizing the route 
sort of, um, although for certain areas, you really do have to kind of plan logistically because there's a lot of driving. Like I've done 97% of northern New Hampshire's tab. So um, there are a lot of trails that are all over the place. And so you're doing a lot of driving. And that's the part where I try to be smart logistically is the driving part. Wow. Got it. And then you've, you talked about like you mostly do solo hiking. So search and rescue is part of the, um, you know, part of the fabric of the show. So what do you, what do you do to stay safe out there? Um, so I carry, um, the 10 essentials. I have, uh, like things in my pack to make sure if I need to spend a night out in the woods, I am going to be okay. I'm going to be prepared. Um, I carry a Garmin, um, in reach is in reach it's like a satellite phone literally it's great okay so i yeah i have one of those my husband knows where i'm going i send him a picture of the map before i leave um i tell him if i have service i usually i'll text him like at the trailhead and then i usually as i'm hiking throughout the day we'll keep in contact with him to a certain extent depending on how busy i am and then when i get back to my car i text him to say i'm done if I have service, if I don't, then I wait till I get service and then text him. Um, let's see what else I carry the map. I have the guidebook. Um, I don't, so I'm not cocky about things. Um, I'm not afraid to turn back and I'm not afraid to backtrack if I have to, like I've backtracked so many times. It's not even funny because I like, don't know, am I on the trail or not? If it's not well marked, if it's in a wilderness area, I'm not going to keep going if I don't think I'm on the right spot. Yeah. Um, and now my watch actually is, I have an upgraded watch that actually shows me the trails mm-hmm. on it, which is really cool. And I'm trying not to rely on it too heavily because it makes it easier for me to just look at my watch to navigate. Yeah. yeah. Um, and you probably lose, like, I, I spend way too much time looking at Chia on my phone. And like, you do, you do lose that connection to the trail sometimes. Like you spend all that time looking at your watch <laughs> or your phone. I only use it if I'm like, okay, I really feel like I need to look at it because I want to try to use my brain to navigate as much as I can because I don't want to lose those skills because I feel like soft skills are so important that that's kind of why, I I don't know, I think a lot of people don't, oops, they rely too much on technology and I try not to do that because I don't want to lose my ability to navigate Mm -hmm. in the wilderness. Yeah. Yeah, that makes sense. So, what's the sketchiest thing that's ever happened to you? Have you ever like been like, oh no, I got to hit that SOS button on the on the inreach? Yeah, yeah. My worst experience was last year in March, and I did actually almost have to hit it because it was actually not really as scary. It wasn't as dangerous as as I mentally thought it was. Like I was having a panic attack, and I have a panic disorder, so I also um, have to take that into consideration. Sort of like while I'm out there in the woods. So I was hiking um, Pierce, and then my goal was to do, actually, I was planning on doing Edmonds Path down, mm-hmm. um, which is not a very often used trail in the winter. Yeah, um, it was I a really this winter. Yeah, so I was planning on doing that. It was in March. No one, there was a recent trail report from about a week prior, but it was extremely windy the day that I was up there. And um, probably, like, I would say zero at least, if not lower, with the wind chills. Um, I got to um, Eisenhower and I was going to use the bad weather cutoff because I'm like, oof, I don't know if I want to go up there. It was beautiful. It was a bluebird day, but it was just really, really cold and windy. Mm -hmm. Um, And of course, I don't know if you've ever done that trail in winter, but the bad weather cutoff is, it's like all windblown. Like it's not a good trail to necessarily Mm -hmm. do. I got a couple of hundred feet 
or I'm not really sure how far, maybe like a quarter of a mile, if that, down towards that. And I'm like, this doesn't seem safe. So I turned around, went back to Eisenhower, and I wasn't really stopping and resting. I wasn't doing what I needed to do to take care of my body, like drinking water and, you know, mm-hmm. those types of things. So I get to the top of Eisenhower. I'm like, oh my gosh, it's so windy. I just need to get down the other side. So I get down the backside towards Edmonds Path and... Then I get to Edmonds Path, and it's all still open right there, so the wind had completely blown over the trail, and I had no idea where the trail was, but I'm like, I have to do this because I'm working on redlining, and I need to get this trail line. Like, mm-hmm. I need to do this. I'm doing this in a set amount of time. Normally, I wouldn't have ever done that if it wasn't for the fact that I was like, I have this goal. So... I kept walking forward. I kept going. I got to tree line, and then I'm like, I have no clue where the the um path is because usually you can see where the trees are cut but it was like the snow was so high that I couldn't tell where the trail was and I started going a little bit downhill knowing like in my head this isn't the trail this is not the trail um but I was like not making smart choices Mm. mentally and then I I stepped into a spruce trap Mm. and my foot went in and I was like oh like freaking out because I'm terrified of falling into spruce traps. Yeah, rightly so. Um, and, yeah, and I was, like, having a mental breakdown, sort of, like, I was having just, like, a panic attack at that point. So I was really, really, really scared, and I was like, oh, my gosh, I don't want to go up Eisenhower again. I just, all I wanted was to not go back up that stupid mountain. And I called, I actually was like, oh, my gosh, oh, my gosh. Like, I, I know if I press SOS, it's going to take them, like, five-plus hours to get to me. I know they're going to have to climb up Edmund's path, probably, to get to me, which is so not cool and not fair. And it wasn't like I was in any immediate danger. I was just mentally thought I was. So yeah. then I ended up having enough cell... I had cell phone service, so I called my husband first and told him what was going on. And, of course, he was like, you know, well, do you know where you are? And I'm like, yeah, I know where I am. I just don't want to go back up the mountain. And he's like, well, just regroup. And anyway, so he ended up talking me down sort of like mentally and getting me into a better place. And then I just reascended Eisenhower and made my way back down Crawford Path. But like, it was more of a mental thing than anything. And I think that I was just so in my own head that I felt like, oh my gosh, I have to, like, I can't can't get out of this. I don't want to get out of this. I don't want to go back up that mountain. But then I kept thinking about like, my friends are going to have to come rescue me. Well, it's it's a better call, too, because um, the thing about, you know, you go back, it sucks going back up the mountain. But when you get over to Crawford Path, like, you're way more likely to have people around than you would be if you got in trouble down Edmonds or if you kept going. Because I think the way I remember that section of Edmonds is that, like, if it's windblown, like it's it's just like a if you if you decide to go too far to the right like you're going to be down low and you're never going to find the trail and then if you go to the left you're going to be way up high so it's like threading a needle i would think yeah it's like i couldn't i just i couldn't locate where the trail had been broken down um through the like through the trees and i've done that trail multiple times in in the summer but never in winter and i just it was not a good choice. It was a really stupid choice to keep going. I shouldn't have ever have kept going. When I got to the top of Eisenhower, I should have turned around. But, like, I was so mentally determined. And I think, like, now looking back, that was definitely really, really scary. And But it was more in my head than anything. And I learned a lot about 
what is real danger and what is I'm in my own head. Um, and I think that there are a lot of SOS calls that are more, sometimes people are in their own heads or then they're actually in legit danger probably. Um, so yeah, I, I learned a lot from that experience a lot actually. And I wouldn't want to do it again, but I definitely can look back on it now and appreciate the lesson in it. Yeah, and I could totally see that because, like, when even if you did start heading down to Edmund's path after being freaked out, like, that's a long way to go. Like, you're still talking, like, you know, two, three miles on the mountain where no one's coming near you at that point, and then you've got to walk back on the road afterwards. So I, I get it. Yeah. Um, so we want to transition. So I'm going to try not to cry during this segment, but we're going to um, talk about – you know, there was a recent um, short film that came out about you, and you know, I guess we want to just transition into. Can can you talk a little bit about what you've experienced over the last? I, I don't even know how long it is, but you were diagnosed with cancer uh, a while back, and it's been it's been a journey for you, right? Yeah. So um, I was actually diagnosed with breast cancer in August. I think it was August twenty first was the official day. Um, and so I was in the middle of working on hiking all the trails and the White Mountain Guide, redlining, tracing, whatever you want to call it. Um, this was my second official attempt at trying to do it in a set amount of time. So my goal was to do it in the year. And I started in June 19th. And then I was in the middle of doing this. Um, my husband found a lump in my left breast. And I thought, I don't know, maybe it's, I didn't think it was anything, but then I knew in my head, it's people who have cancer, they'll say this. It's like, you almost know you have it. It's very strange. It's almost like this intuition. So, um, anyways, I went in and had it looked or had it checked and within an entire day of appointment, like I was at the doctor's for an entire day. And then that Friday, within a week, I knew I had breast cancer. Um, it was a 95% chance that it was cancer when I was at that original appointment because of just the way it looked and everything. Um, they can rate it on a scale. So anyway, so I ended up getting diagnosed and then there was more diagnostic process. It takes a while. It took about a month to get all the data and then um, found out that I had I had surgery in October. September. Wait, I'm sorry. I had surgery in September. And they removed my left um, nipple and then like a pound of tissue from between the two breasts. I ended up having four tumors, um, three in my left and one in my right. And they took them all out, took out a couple lymph nodes to check to see if it had spread. It hadn't, which is really good. Um, Because of the type of breast cancer I have, they had to do more than just surgery though. So I ended up being told I needed to have chemo and so I did 12 weeks of chemo 12 rounds Um, I finished my last round of chemo in January 7th and then I had 20 rounds of radiation which I had my last round of radiation I think it was March 8th Um, and then I'm still getting Herceptin which is that's yeah and then I have Herceptin which is a more it's a low-risk hazardous agent is what it says on the packaging. So it's a less extreme chemo. I get that once every three weeks until October. So I had a round last, last Thursday. I had a round. Um, I've had five now. So, And then I have to do a hormone blocker pill for 10 years. Um, 
So, yeah, it doesn't stop, really. It's just a never-ending thing that keeps going for, like, a long time. But the more aggressive treatment has finally kind of come to a close, which is nice because I, I didn't realize how sick I was going through chemo until I recently am just getting it once every three weeks. And now I'm like, wow, I feel really awful when I get this. Um, I think when you're in it, you don't realize how awful you feel. And you're also kind of working off of, I think, adrenaline to a certain extent, yeah. too. Um, so while going through treatment, I was really... My biggest goal was um, to keep hiking as much as possible because I had worked really hard to maintain a level of fitness all summer and also because it pissed me off that I got cancer <laughs> and it was kind of like, well, I'm not going to let cancer take away my passion, so I'm going to keep doing this. And I hiked um, every week of chemo. I did overall, over the 12 weeks, I did 28 summits. Um I did three, four thousand footers. And then once I started radiation, I stopped keeping track, but I hiked through radiation too. Um, so, yeah. Now, did you, um, did you piss your medical, um, your medical support off by doing this? Were they all like telling you you're, you're pushing it too hard? To, to be honest, no. And I think that, so I was anemic. I was definitely, it's amazing because I look at what I was doing now and I'm like, oh my gosh, I was really sick. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, I was like struggling to get up these mountains. It was not easy at all because when you have low blood counts, you can't get the oxygen you need to your, to your muscles. And so, um, yeah, I mean, it was really hard, but like I was so determined to do it that it was like I'm not gonna stop doing this um my medical my oncologist actually I said to her when I went to my appointment before starting treatment I said what will alleviate some of these symptoms of like it's called chemo brain it's like you get really foggy and you feel horrible like it's it's awful it's like your brain doesn't work well and then also I said what will help me get through this and like um not be completely exhausted all the time and she said honestly the only thing that seems to help is exercise but people don't want to exercise because they feel terrible and i was like oh well i can force myself yeah. to do that mm -hmm. and i'm convinced that that's why i came out of it so well and also why i had a little bit of a reprieve because i was getting every week chemo i didn't get a break so a lot of people will get chemo once every three weeks and they have a more aggressive treatment for that week, but then they have two weeks to recover and I didn't get reprieve. So it got to the point at the end where it was like, I have hours where I feel normal and that's it. And not even days. Like it was really bad. Yeah. You, you know where I would be the most concerned. So if I was, I'm just putting my, I'm thinking of like, what is her, I'm sitting here being like, what is her husband thinking about this? He must be freaking out. But you know where I would be the most nervous if I was him would, would be like the drive home because you're not like right in the white mountains. Like you've got to yeah. drive home for like an hour, hour and a half. And I think to myself, like I'll hike like a five or an eight mile hike. And then I've got to drive home to two and a half hours. And like, I'm exhausted. Like I'm pinching myself to stay awake. Like I can't imagine what you're going through having gone through treatment and then you're going hiking and then you've got to stay focused to drive home for an hour, hour and a half. I think because I was at such a higher level of fitness that a 10, 15 mile hike every day was normal for me. And then to go from that to doing five to seven or eight miles or nine at the most was like, 
this doesn't feel like anything. Um, And also, I was very determined. And I think you can do things you wouldn't be surprised. You'd be surprised what you're capable of doing if you're really determined to do it. So, and I would do it purposely, like plan it out. So on my best day of the week, I would go on a hike. I wouldn't go, you know, the worst days where I could barely get function. Um, I would plan it out. And I also purposely, so I I exercised five days a week through chemo. So Mm -hmm. I would hike and then I would do something, other stuff throughout the week. So I'd always go on walks. Um, Even on my bad days, I mean, I would try to walk on the treadmill, even if it was for only 20 minutes, which was ridiculous that that was hard, but that was really hard. Um, so I think that helped too, maybe. I don't know. Yeah. And then you're, so, and you're solo hiking. So I, I mean, it's, I can't imagine what it's like, but I, I, sometimes I'll solo hike and you do think about your mortality sometimes. Like I'm getting a little bit older. I'm not as old as Stomp, but <laughs> you think about it. Like, you know, even especially like people were talking about like, oh, this podcast is great. And I sort of joke around and I'm like, oh yeah, I have a legacy um, that people can look back on and things like that. But like, then you just put it out of your head for like after two minutes. But what you're dealing with, like you can't get it out of your head that easy. And then you're hiking in the woods. Like it's, it must be a really hard time to process something like that. It's almost like ever since I got my diagnosis, I'm floating above my body watching it happen to someone else. And I know yeah. that's kind of a coping strategy that happens to people who have trauma. Uh, it's like dissociation, I guess, is what it's called. And there are moments where it hits me that it's real. And it's like, holy crap, this is terrifying. And I cannot yeah. believe this is my life. And then it goes away. It's like, it almost, it's like your body, you can't handle it mentally so your brain does that where it dissociates if i can make an observation um i don't think many people know but you one of your passions is writing um blogging writing whatever and uh you've helped me in the past with some (laughs) little writing adventures (laughs) much appreciated oh yeah i've been um really uh just amazed at how public you've been with this whole journey and how you've it would seem to me that you're you're using writing as a some form of therapy almost you know you're just putting it out there and just venting through your words and uh i just think that's really neat is that sort of the case you using your writing to some degree i think so and also because i want to remember that i did this so i've been documenting the crap out of it because i'm like kind of for my own self so I can look back and say, oh my gosh, I can't believe I did that. And I know I'm not going to remember in the, you know, what I felt that week unless I write about it that week. So I did every week of chemo, I wrote a blog and I still haven't actually gone back and read them, but like I have them just in case. And I also did it. So there was a lot of people. So when I got diagnosed, I have no family history, so I have no clue what to expect. And all I knew is what was on TV, which was really scary. And the worst part, I think, is the fear of it all and the unknown. So I documented a lot of it and was really public about it because I never wanted anyone to be as afraid as I was. And I thought, well, I'll put myself out there so other people will know in case they get diagnosed or if they are diagnosed, they have someone they can look at and say, okay, I can kind of feel like I'm not alone. And I also am not as scared because Rebecca went through it and she was okay. So Absolutely. Yeah, that's phenomenal. Yeah. And then so 
there was a uh, you, you are the subject of a short film that just came out, so I wanted to talk a little bit about that. Um, I watched it. I can tell you, like, just be prepared. It's 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 a very emotional film, and it's a great story, and I think it tells your story um, really well. And you know, can, can you talk a little bit about how that project came to be, and um, talk a little bit about your friend Monique that that was part of that film as well. Yeah, so um, there's a, a person on social media named Tommy Corey, and he's a photographer and a thru-hiker, and his handle is Twerk in the Dirt. He's an amazing photographer, um, and he's doing a series of um, visual podcasts documenting people in the outdoors, and he's trying to show the diversity of the outdoors. Um, so he actually approached me and said, you know, he interviewed me sort of and asked if I'd be interested. And I said, you know, of course, sure, I'd love to do that because it'll help people know more about, you know, you can do this and you can get out there while going through treatment and stuff. So um, I had a former student that was diagnosed um, back in, I think it was 2019. Yeah, 2019 with um, a very aggressive form of cancer. And she ended up passing away um, December 11th. And so we we had a really good connection because she helped me through my beginning parts of treatment. Um, and so when she passed away, it was awful, obviously. Um, and I wanted a legacy for her a bit too. So I, when Tommy and I filmed this whole story about me going through cancer treatment and sort of just like um, my story about that as well as hiking, I wanted to incorporate a lot of, and we talked a lot about Monique because she's, the girl went through things that no one should ever have to go through. And she was 19 when she died. And the, the, the things that she had to decide whether like the things that she had to decide to do in order to not die are things that no one should ever have to decide to do. And I just wanted her story to be told because I think that um, it's there's so many people out there that are going through this and I didn't realize it until I was in it myself. And I, I wanted her story to be part of my story because it really was part of my story. Um, it was, um, I mean, that girl people say I'm strong but I'll tell you what like there isn't I don't know if I know anyone that was as strong as her to be completely honest um and she never once complained and she never was mad about it and she never um really showed just what level of pain she was in um I can't even imagine the things that she had to do doing those things and she did it because she didn't want to die um so yeah I really wanted her story told yeah, it's an amazing. I mean, the cinematography, the pacing, the way that you know the 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 story was told is just was really amazing. Like he's a very talented filmmaker, and you, and your story was so inspiring. Mm-hmm. Thanks. What sort of have you heard? You, you must have heard a ton of feedback from people after after the film came out. I would guess. Yeah, a lot of people were crying. <laughs> I felt really bad. Yeah. Oh yeah, I was crying like a big pussy. Yeah, so many people like, were crying. Yeah. Tommy made a story after that that was a, like a funny joking one because he felt bad for making so many people cry. Um, I was mostly just, I guess, I think more than anything, I just wanted to demonstrate that there's 
a lot more strength in you than you'd think. And it's not a choice. It's not like I chose to get cancer. And just, Monique certainly didn't. Like, no one chooses this. And when I was, before I got diagnosed, I mean, I guess I always imagined maybe that, and it sounds really weird, but not that people choose to get it, but like, that they're able to handle it and I would never be able to handle it. And then of course, somehow I got cancer and it's like the one thing I never wanted to do and never thought I could handle, I got. Yeah. Somehow I handled it. Yeah, and wh where are you now? Are you, I, and everybody has sort of a grieving process or a, a way that they process this, but like where, where are you at, at this point with, with cancer and in your life? Um, I have moments where it hits me like really scary where, oh my gosh, I could get this again. Because you always think in your head, like, when is it coming back? When am I? And you, you kind of are always mentally prepared for that. You don't ever let your guard down, sort of, like, what happens if I get it back? This is what I need to remember that, you know, okay, if it comes back, this is what's going to happen. You sort of plan for it. I think the way you'd plan for anything. Mm -hmm. Um I think you also get a little bit, sometimes I forget that it's a very real and very scary thing that could happen again to me because I get kind of, I don't know if complacent is the right word, um, but I stop being up, I stop having my guard up sometimes and forget that I have cancer or had cancer or whatever because I'm not in it like I was with the treatment. Um, and then I try to, I'd, I'll remember again, like, oh my gosh, I have to be careful. I have to have my guard up. I know it sounds really bad, but like you always kind of feel that way, I think, or at least you do when you're in the middle of active treatment. And the other thing that I'm at this place where I don't want cancer treatment to stop ever because I feel safe if I'm getting chemo, which is the, so gross because you hate chemo. And I don't yeah. my, like, um, so I have a port, it's a plastic thing right here that they put the, the chemo in. Um, and I don't want it taken out ever. Like I want that thing in there because I feel like as long as I have my port, they can always give me more chemo. <laughs> it's really bad. Yeah. Well, I mean, you get used to that. I mean, I'm a creature of habit. I think my vibe from my guess is because, you know, the repetitive hiking and you're, you know, you're, you're used to sort of an exercise routine. You're probably somebody that is, you know, doesn't like to get out of their routine and you get comfort from sort of the sameness of, of day after day. But Spring is here, and things are going to change, I think. It's going to get nicer. Yeah, and it's been... I definitely hate getting chemo now. So, like, I had it last week, and I felt really awful, kind of, the last week or so. And now um, I'll start to feel a little bit better for two weeks. And by the end of the two weeks, I'm, like, back to normal, sort of. And I, I don't want to have it again, because it's like, then I feel awful again. Uh, I have to plan my hikes around it, too, which is frustrating. Yeah. What do you uh, what do you think by the end of the summer? Like uh, you uh, do you have like a goal where you want to be X percentage done with the, the trace or the red line? Not really. Um, I keep working on it now because it's spring and it's I want to do trails that I can do. I can do. Um, I kind of I'm, I want to work on it still, but I'm also kind of thinking a lot about sort of the short, long trails that I want to do. And I also want to go back and redo the 67 the peaks in vermont and maine this summer just for fun so i'm kind of a little bit all over the place right now i also planned out um the southern new hampshire trail system i created a binder of, of those um planned out the hikes and everything so 
I don't know, I'm just kind of a little bit all over the place and I'm liking the fact that I'm not having to stick to a strict schedule because when you're working on a, a red line or a trace, you really are kind of stuck sort of on a schedule with it. Um, if you have a specific time frame, and I'm loving the fact that I can do whatever I want, hmm. sort of. I have a question. I'm curious, in the the psychological realm, are you any different from the socked in that was stuck in that spruce trap to the socked in that we have today with us psychologically or, or oh, managing gosh, yeah. anxiety and stress and things like that? Yeah. When I first got diagnosed, the night, the, like, the day they found the, the tumors and they're doing the ultrasound, it was the most terrifying experience ever. And I'm by myself because of COVID. You can't have anyone with you for any of these things. So... I remember that night I couldn't sleep. It was probably the first time in my life that I can ever think of where I genuinely did not want to go to sleep at all because I knew if I woke up the next morning, I was one step closer to being told I had cancer and there was nothing else I wanted. And I did not want to face that. Um, and I think going through that whole process, it made me realize how, yeah, of course the mountains are scary and bad things can happen, but gosh, there's nothing out there that is as scary as what I went through in that first month getting diagnosed it was the most terrifying experience of my life hands down um no one wants to hear that they have cancer no one wants to ever be told that i i yeah i mean it, it's they sat me down because i was gonna not do chemo i didn't want to do chemo and then the uh, medical director uh the surgeon sat me down and said like this will kill you <laughs> basically and the type of cancer you have 10 years ago would have been a death sentence and so it was like a real eye-opener because it's not a game kind of and I think you know you choose to go out there and hike those mountains and you make a conscious choice to do the things that you're doing out there and you might screw up and then get hurt because of it but it was your choice like this was not my choice and I have no say whatsoever in whether the cancer responds to the treatment. So it's, it's really awful. <laughs> um, yeah, yeah, I can, I, uh, I can only imagine. I mean, it's just, it's, it's been such an inspiring thing to follow along. And again, you, you, you've been an open book about this since, um, since the diagnosis. And, you know, it's really inspiring. And, you know, we are going to, we are kind of hitting the, hitting the end here. But mm -hmm. I, before we wrap up, I do want to give you a chance to, again, plug. So you talked about the filmmaker, but there was also a, a corporate sponsor here. So can you, can you just give us a plug for, um, all the folks that were involved in, in making the film? Yeah, um, the film is sponsored by Canoc Outdoors. It's C-N-O-C Outdoors, and they make um, these collapsible water bottles, and they also make um, water bladders and trekking poles. Um, so they actually sponsored the film for Tommy to be able to make the films. He has to get some, you know, sponsorship financially. Um, I didn't make any money off of it. It was... You know, they gave me products and everything, but other than that, it was, you know, I just did it because I wanted to do something to help the community, but Tommy needs to make money, obviously, to do yeah. these things, though. So. Yeah, yeah. I'm going to actually, I, I was on their website the other day, and I'm actually going to get some water bottles because I'm going to switch out my day pack. We're going to have to do a gear show eventually. I'm going to switch out my day pack to something that has actual shoulder pockets so I can put water bottles in. So mm -hmm. I was looking at their products. So or an IPA. Check it out and, you uh, can stick an IPA. 
Yeah, or so, an IPA. <laughs> yeah. And, but we'll put um, we'll we'll uh, put all that information in the show notes so that people can go go check them out. Now, where do we get a hold of you, Socked? What are your uh, what's your handle on Insta and all that? So my Instagram is Socked in Hikes, and um, actually, I just changed my website to my name instead of Socked in Hikes because. I thought I should probably use my real name if I'm planning on being a writer, <laughs> using it as a portfolio. So, yeah, so my website is RebeccaSperry.com now, um, but I think it still works if you do SocktonHikes.com. Either way, it's it's RebeccaSperry.com now, um, but I basically just use Instagram. I don't really use mm-hmm. the other socials. Awesome. Thank you. Very cool. Well, thank you for um, joining us on uh, this dumb podcast and listening to dealing with with me and Stomp. You know, we're total amateurs on this, but um, no, this is really you know, fun. we really appreciate you coming on and, and telling sharing your story. You know, you're our first guest, and you know we're uh, we're very excited that and honored that you would be joining us. Well, it's been great chatting with you guys. Yeah, maybe you can fill in for me so I don't have to do this every week with Mike. Okay, sounds good. Seriously, seriously, I'm not sick of this guy. So, oh my but, uh, all right, let's cue let's cue the uh, the exit here. So, thanks again, everyone, and we will look forward to uh, seeing you next week. Thank you. Bye. Thank you for listening. If you enjoyed the show, you can subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. If you want to learn more about the topics covered on today's show, please check out the show notes and safety information on slasserpodcast.com. That's S-L-A-S-R podcast.com. You can also follow the show on Facebook and Instagram. We hope you'll join us next week for another great show. Until next time, on behalf of Mike and Stomp, get out there and crush some peaks. Now covered in scratches, blisters, and bug bites, Chris Staff wanted to complete his most challenging day hike ever. Fish and game officers say the hiker from Florida activated an emergency beacon yesterday morning. He was hiking along the Appalachian Trail when the weather started to get worse. Officials say the snow was piled up to three feet in some spots and there was a wind chill of minus one degree. And there's three words to describe this race. Do we all know what they are? Lieutenant James Neeland, New Hampshire Fish and Game. Lieutenant, thanks for being with us today. Thanks for having me. What are some of the most common mistakes you see people make when they're heading out on the trails to hike here in New Hampshire? It seems to me the most common is being unprepared. And I think if they just simply visited uh, hikesafe.com and got a list of the 10 essential items and had those in their packs, they probably would have no need to ever call us at all.